the volume. This Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777, or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut, 1-800-GAMBLER, or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia, 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY, or text HOPE-NY for New York, Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789. And 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the best of the sessions. What we have done is we've combined the best of Tuesday's episode and Thursday's episode, mashed them together to give you a beautiful little audio gift for your ear holes. We have some awesome, awesome guests on the show. Cannot thank people enough for taking the time to, to come hang out with me. Give me a little bit of their time. We give you a little bit of that. We all get to hang out and enjoy it, learn a little bit about each other. Um, so it's really cool to mash these all together and you guys can get those little abbreviated highlights of both of the interviews throughout the week. Also, of course, if you want to listen to the full lengths, you can do that. They all exist. Uh, just make sure to check out all things from the Volume Podcast Network. Like, subscribe, turn on those notifications, all that good stuff. But let's get into it. Here's the best of the sessions. Repeat customers here on the sessions we've got on Jason and Evan. You guys coming in from Tales of the Territories, new programming this time around. How are you guys doing? Good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Oh my God, I'm so pumped to have you guys on. How have you been between the last time I had you on? Was has it been how long has it been since you guys were on here? Oh, about a year, right? I think a year or so. Yeah. Probably. Because I was still in Vegas when we recorded last time. So yeah, it's been a been a little minute. We haven't really stopped since we last saw you, though. We uh, yeah, exactly. You know, made a new TV show, and I just finished a movie that we just premiered. Ooh, wait, what movie did you do? I just uh, made a movie called Kids vs. Aliens. Cool. <laughs> Where did it premiere? It just premiered at Fantastic Fest. Actually, uh, both Evan and I were just in Austin, Texas, for the festival. Yeah, last week. Last week. Yeah, it was great. It was killer. It was a good time. How was like, what was like the reception for the film? It was great. Uh, I couldn't have asked for anything uh, better. I, w- I was so nervous. I, I haven't been so like nerve wracked and it, because it's been so long since we've been able to like play anything we've made. I think the last time we actually had something that we could play for an audience was when we did the pilot episode, I think of uh, Dark Side of the Ring, which was the Bru- Bruiser Brody episode. Where did you guys play the pilot for that? Who was like the first audience to see that? We actually showed the pilot of Darkseid uh, at StarCast. I think the very first 
year of StarCast, uh, which was cool. And we had Dutch your audience. Mantel out. Yeah, it was. It was great. It was cool. And I think uh, that was an awesome opportunity. So, um, but yeah, like Jason said, we hadn't had an opportunity to play uh, any of the shows live. I'm, I, I know we were going to do a season two premiere event, like a huge screening with Chris Jericho and everybody. That's when the pandemic hit, like right there. So we were unable to do that. So we haven't really done that. But it was really cool last week being with Jason, you know, for the premiere of his new movie. And then now we got a new show out next week. So it's been it's been a little crazy. Gosh, you guys have been so busy. I mean, you look at the success from Dark Side of the Ring and how much everybody loved that and was like clamoring for new episodes, couldn't wait for them to drop. And then like all of the buzz of everyone talking about shit online and blah, blah, blah. To now it's morphed into this new season having Tales from the Territories. So how did this come up? Like, what was the concept behind putting this show together and pairing up with Seven Bucks, pairing up with The Rock? What happened with all that? Well, it was super organic. Uh, It was awesome. I mean, I remember, I think it was around the time of Dark Side Season 1 when that came out uh, in 2019 or whatever it was. I, I just remember looking at my phone and seeing that you know, Twitter mentioned The Rock has mentioned you on Twitter. And I was like, oh my God. So I looked at it and then he was, you know, obviously putting Dark Side of the Ring over on Twitter, which was just mind blowing, especially for someone like me as a, you know, growing up as an Attitude Era fan, you know, so that was wild. And then it was like shortly thereafter, um, we were able to get a meeting with Seven Bucks. They were interested in wanting to talk to us about projects, future ideas. And so the the roots of the show actually go all the way back to right after season one in 2019 with with territories when um, we were batting around ideas and um, the uh, short version of the story is that you know Brian Gewertz who works uh, with the Rock at Seven Bucks he was a former also head a writer. former guest on this show shout oh, out to awesome. Brian yes. yeah that's right Brian's got an awesome new book out that's yes. amazing uh, it is a yeah great it's incredible. Book. Yeah, of course. So, uh, so Brian, uh, we sort of hit it off with him, and we had this mutual interest of wanting to do something about like territory era wrestling because that's like a huge major fixation of Jason and I. Like, we love that era. We love, you know, we're huge like you know world class fans, Jim Crockett promotions, all that stuff. So, we wanted to do something about that, and then coincidentally, we were getting season two of Dark Side going. And that's when we were working on the Chris Benoit episode of that show when we met Chavo Guerrero Jr who actually helped us in like a producerial capacity with that episode, getting a lot of the folks in that show um, on board. And Chavo also was, you know, doing stuff on Glow, and then he eventually would work on Young Rock. So he was getting involved in production. He also had a concept too about wanting to work and do a doc in the territory realm. And so it was all just kind of this perfect storm of all of us coming together and saying, well, let's just do something together. And then that was, you know, sort of developed and pitched as Tales from the Territories. And then um, lo and behold, we pitched it to a bunch of networks, but Vice came in and and, uh, wanted to do it. And so we did it. And then we went right into production on it after season three uh, last year. We went like there was no gap in between. Oh my gosh. Do you guys feel like you're burning the candle on both ends right now? You guys have been so busy for so long. Yeah, I'm pretty tired. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a little bit. We're, we're lucky though. Like we we've, we've been over like the past couple of years, been able to like kind of like amass like a team, and so you know we have like a great team along with us too. So we're you know it's it, crazy it's, it's, too when you think about being as busy as you guys have during a time when a lot of people weren't busy at all, and you guys just kind of kept that train moving forward and keeping productions going and, and all that. Like hats off to you guys for being able to pull all that off. That couldn't have been easy. 
Yeah, it was it was scary. I mean, it, even in in uh, when we were doing season three, and I, I'm I'm sure we talked about it last time, was that you know the world shut down, nobody was traveling, but you know I think the most travel I ever did was during that period, and we drove it all in an RV, which was absolutely insane during you know 2020 for for season three. So, but yeah, but we're just super fortunate to have been able to keep it going, to have a great team, and you know, um, and and for all this to keep you know, coming together despite all of the challenges and hurdles with the last couple of years. So how different was it coming into territories and working with another production company and working with somebody like The Rock, the biggest name when it comes to professional wrestling, the biggest name when it comes to entertainment in general. Now, all of a sudden, you guys have this new stamp on your product, which people have already been loving. And now it's like this new thing. How has that been? It's been pretty awesome, like uh, like working with someone like The Rock and what that brings to a project. Do you call him The Rock like, or do you call him Dwayne now? Do you call him DJ? What do you call him? <laughs> I actively try not to call him DJ. <laughs> okay. uh, I, I, it's like, you know, people saying, you know, Marty for Marty Scorsese and stuff. Right. Like, I don't know if I know him <laughs> right. that well yet to be throwing DJ around, but working with Dwayne, Rock on the show has been awesome because I think what, what that brings to the production, you know, is obviously a huge stamp of authenticity. And one of the hardest parts about Dark Side of the Ring is sometimes calling up wrestlers and getting them on the show. You know, wrestlers, I think, for a lot of different reasons and and have great reason to be a little suspect of guys like us, you know, of course, that want to make docs about their lives or sometimes the darkest periods of their lives, you know, and things like that. You know, working with Dwayne on the show has been awesome because obviously he has all the relationships in the world in this business. And it's given us the opportunity to work with a lot of wrestlers that we've never had the chance to work with on Dark Side, like Jerry Lawler. Michael Hayes from the WWE, you know, who's over there, um, you know. And, what was uh, your we, favorite Michael Hayes outfit that he showed up in? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's amazing. I love his style. I think it's incredible. You guys need to do an episode on that. Go to Michael Hayes' house and just like look at his closet to look at the fanny pack matched with the, the vest to the pants to the shoes. Like, it's crazy. It's it's amazing. He has such a, an incredible style. It's total like, you know, like comic book villain style or whatever. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. He showed up, I think it was like in a, I want to say like a kind of cream to like eggshell, you know, kind of color. And it was all coordinated and perfect and looked amazing on camera. <laughs> I respect it. I love it. Yeah. I, I really yeah. always looked forward to a good Michael Hayes outfit. The guy does not miss. No, not at all. Never does. No. Never. No. So, um, who else did you guys get to work with that that was new for you guys? There's a ton. I mean, uh, we'd never worked with Ted DiBiase before. There was also some folks that we had worked with on Dark Side that we hadn't had back on the show in a long time. Like we got Brett the Hitman Hart back. Kevin Sullivan was one that we had never worked with before on the show. And you know, when you're talking about like sort of casting, if you will, for this show or or, or doing getting wrestlers together for it, right? Is each episode the roundtables? Yeah, so it's a different format than Dark Side of the Ring. Where Dark Side of the Ring, it's you know, it's most largely like it's one subject, either about like one event. But we wanted to kind of try to recreate that feeling of being around like a table with wrestlers when they're telling their stories and kind of bouncing back and forth like off each other. We bring them all to a table. They all come to us. And they sit down and we try to create like a good environment for them to, you know, have fun telling their stories. And then we do the reenactments kind of similar to like what we do with Dark Side of the Ring. But each episode is like five to six like different stories within the territory. Yeah, we sort of say that it's kind of almost like a Tales from the Crypt format, you know, where it's like, 
it's kind of an anthology of different stories. So it's not like a total history of the territory. It's literally you're a fly on the wall for like these four to five wrestlers coming together for the first time. Some who haven't been in the same room in 35 years, you know, when they were working together back in the 80s. So um, it's a cool vibe. And I actually remember uh, several years ago, I had just was, I think it was during maybe StarCast, maybe that same StarCast we were talking about earlier, like walking into a bar. And I think it was Road Warrior Animal, Scott Norton, Eric Bischoff, and Sonny Ono, and a bunch of these guys. And they were all around a table, few beers in, and they were just telling these <laughs> the stories yeah. that were just jaw dropping. Every one, like one guy went, told a story, then the next guy, and they just kind of went down the line passing around stories. And one story turned into, you know, 20 different ones. And so then I remember even Eric Bischoff at the time leaned over and it was like, if this could be recreated for television. And it's like, I know I've been thinking the same thing. And so um, that was what the challenge, I think, with this was, was just like, can we recreate this naturalistic old time wrestlers hanging out and telling their best stories? How do you get them to get to that level of comfortability together? Because I know what you mean. I've been there during those times when you're all hanging out, whether you're in a, a car between towns or it's the hotel lobby afterwards. Like I've been around those conversations and a lot of it is stuff that probably can't air on television or stuff that maybe they don't ever want to talk about publicly in that sense. Um, so a way to like capture those stories and still be really true to what those are while letting the guys like really let loose to, to really telling that tale. At first I thought, you know, going back to my experience, you know, at the bar or whatever, I thought booze might've been the answer to that. Uh, <laughs> for for um, You've got a small window with that before it turns into a shit show and people are exactly, going through tables. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we didn't do that. And, and, you know, a lot of these guys are sharper in the morning anyway. And so, and I was actually surprised, you know, at how natural it was just off right away. Cause I was worried because, you know, it's not like dark side where we go to your home and we interview you in your comfortable space. You know, we're actually bringing you to a studio and there's lights and there's a goddamn camera guy on a freaking track coming around the table and stuff like that. And so how is that going to take people out of the moment? But I was actually pretty surprised that it wound up feeling pretty natural, you know, right away. But I think that there is this kind of, you know, competitive nature, you know, in terms of wanting to kind of one up each other with a story or, you know, they, they, they maybe will embellish or over exaggerate. And so that's one thing I think viewers are going to find when they see the show is like, these are the lore. These are the legends, like legendary stories of the road that you know have taken on a new life as each decade rolls by, you know. And so I think that's part of the fun of the show a little bit. You know, it's not trying to be, you know, journalistically accurate in a lot of ways because there's no way that these stories could be right. But that's what's great about them. But that's that is the funny part, though, because when you are sitting around in that bar and you're hearing these stories, you're like, shut up. There's no fucking way that happened. But then you look at the cast of characters that they're talking about and you look back to the 80s that like life was different, and you're like, shit, did that happen? Like, oh, my God, it's nuts. There's a pretty legendary story that's uh, in in our in our AWA episode that I think a lot of a lot of fans are looking forward to. I already I've already been seeing some chatter about it. It's a legendary story involving two wrestlers, uh, Ken Patera and Masa Saito. And one night they were drinking, you know, until past midnight, and they were getting super hungry. And so they're asking the bartender, "Was there a restaurant around here that's open?" And the guy says, "Oh, there's the goddamn McDonald's down the road." So. Ken Patera goes out to the McDonald's, but it's closed, even though inside the McDonald's, they have a tray, a mound full of cheeseburgers that he can see through the window. 
but they're filming a commercial. They're not supposed to sell them after hours, yada, yada, yada. And then somehow a giant freaking boulder goes through the window of the McDonald's, right? Which is the stuff of legend. But then that transitions to Ken Patera coming back to uh, his hotel room. And then the police start knocking on the door. Mace is flying. Fists are flying. And then it winds up with Ken Patera and Masa Saito, you know, beating up 20 cops, you know? And I'm sure that number has grown a lot over the years, but um, it's a crazy story. And uh, the way in which Ken Patera tells it, uh, you know, even though it's a crazy story, it's it's hard not to smile and laugh at it. How does it work for you guys? At, like, as you are kind of being like, okay, we're covering Memphis and we're covering X, Y, and Z, but then you do get this cast of characters all around the table. And I'm sure other little stories start to pop up that you're like, shit, how do we know which ones we're actually going to focus on here which and then like other ones that are maybe more entertaining than ones that maybe you had picked and you're like, shit, should we go back and revise the, the episodes? Like, how does that work for you guys? When we're on set and, you know, you're feeling the energy from everyone and then someone's like, you know, I got this other story. And like, for instance, like in the AWA story, Greg Gagne, all of a sudden it came to his head. He's like, oh, I got this story. Oh, no, that's it's too much for television. You could never air it. And then we're like, oh, come on. Like, you gotta, you got to tell us the story. So it's this, like, epic story of a couple wrestlers being stuck in a small airplane. And Adrian Adonis had to use the bathroom. He had to do a number two, like, super bad. <laughs> oh. And so they decided to help him do that by holding a garbage bag up to his butt. I feel like I've heard that story for, like, several people before. Because didn't that apparently happen to Andre at one point as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's there, there's a few of those with Andre, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it gets really messy. It's really disgusting. But it ended up making the, the episode. It, it's too great. So, yeah, that, that would happen sometimes. The whole process of kind of figuring out which stories are going to be told is kind of fun, too. Because, you know, we have a team of researchers and, you know, they got all the wrestling, you know, biographies, autobiographies, the documentaries, the shoot interviews from over the years, because every episode is, you know, a particular territory. So, you know, episode one next week, you know, Tuesday, October 4th is about Memphis, you know, and then we would go around trying to research the best road stories that could be told firsthand, you know, from people around a table. We would sort of book them. So, you know, next week we got Jerry Lawler, uh, Jimmy Hart. Dutch Mantel, Jeff Jarrett, and his dad, Jerry Jarrett, who was a promoter. So it's a pretty all-star cast in terms of Memphis goes. Mm -hmm. And then we would just research these stories. Then we would call up each individual person, do like a pre-interview with them to make sure, you know, okay, this is a banger. And then we would get there and then it would be my job pretty much standing over the table, interrupting them every five seconds to just (laughs) get all the pieces. So then Jason and I could go back and then reenact them you know, in our in our own kind of reenactment style, which is a little more built out uh, in this show than it is in Dark Side. Um, and that was basically the process. You must be fucking exhausted by the end of that day, because I know that feeling as a television host with these wrestlers, especially some of the older wrestlers, yeah. is like trying to jump in there and be like, hold on, wait, hold on, wait. Go back to this. It's like wrangling fucking cats sometimes. Um, so, yeah, you must have been uh, very tired by the end of the day. Oh, man, yeah. And it was crazy because we shot them consecutively. So it was like every single day it was a new group, you know. And, um, and yeah, it, it was tough. Like just, you know, because some of the guys can get real salty real quick. Oh, yeah. You know, and oh, uh, yeah. Who's, this, who's this asshole? Um, and uh, <laughs> but, but it, was, it, was, it was fun and, and we managed to do it. Some, some were great. 
you know, working with some of them were fantastic. Like Gerald Briscoe, you know, another person we'd never worked with on Dark Side, but on this show, oh my God, amazing guy, hilarious. <laughs> I want to be friends with him and hang out with him all the time. So when you're talking about the the crew that you guys work with uh, behind the scenes, as far as having the researchers and the writers, producers, and all that, like how how many people do you have on staff for that, and how difficult is it? to go back and really do the research on these stories that happened in like the seventies, the eighties, when we didn't have the internet the way that we do now, like how do you guys kind of harness the stories? Our team is, is, uh, is, is gotten pretty large, uh, going into this show. I mean, there's gotta be like a core of like 20, you know, to 30. Yeah. You know, including editors and other, other folks who work with us too. And there's a lot of wrestling, you know, experts on the show. A lot of, you know, in terms of our researchers, we have John Boucher, who's amazing. He's an encyclopedic knowledge of all things, you know, territory uh, era. We have uh, Jack Incarnacio, who does an amazing podcast called The Lapsed Fan. He works for us, too. So these guys are, you know, especially those two know, know it all. And in terms of working with them and people who've worked with us ever since, you know, we've done Dark Side, um, you know, you just got to hit the books. You, know, you got to go into the autobiographies and the, and the biographies and sort of dig into that. Also, like shoot interviews are a big, you know, help too in terms of the interviews of that. But the big challenge with doing a show about the territories is that, you know, there's a lot of folks who aren't with us anymore, especially from that era. And so, you know, there's a lot of people that would have been tremendous, obviously, to have on this show, like a Bobby Heenan or a Roddy Piper, you know, people who, you know, are the stuff of legend when it comes to telling stories from this era. And and obviously, they're not available to us. So you are limited to, you know, who's around, uh, but you're also limited to the fact of like, which wrestlers are going to get along with the other wrestlers. <laughs> yeah. Because there's, <laughs> right. there's a lot of people like, I ain't sitting next to him or oh, he ain't going to be on this show, you know, and there's a lot of that and you got to, you got to navigate through that. So, so it's tough to kind of curate the right table with who's going to get along, who's going to have good chemistry because the show lives or dies based on the chemistry of the people at the table. Who had the best stories when the cameras weren't rolling? Because I know when you get them all around, they're all just talking a bunch of trash anyways. Like ever, they're still regaling in the stories. And yeah, who, who was the best when the cameras were down? Oddly enough, like a deep cut answer. This is the first one that comes to mind. We've worked with this guy, David Manning, before. Uh, David Manning is kind of an all-star of, of season one of Dark Side. He's in three of the six episodes. He was the referee and booker of world-class championship wrestling. Um, he was Fritz von Erich's right-hand man. He's an incredible storyteller. And after we did the world-class episode of Tales from the Territories, when the cameras weren't rolling, he told me one of the most insane stories I've ever heard. In short, was basically him on the side, they would, like, after the matches, they'd have people outside sometimes selling watches, guns, you know, from questionable, you know, sources, you know, outside of the venue. And this one dude, he would, would hook him up with, you know, a gun every now and again or a watch every now and again. And one time uh, he went on a ride with that individual. And this guy just decided to rob David Manning, like, in the middle of nowhere. And basically was, like, point a gun to his head. And he's like, I'm going to kill you. And by circumstance, a car pulled up right at that moment, and he just booked it and was running through the woods over these barbed wire fences and like going across into other lawns and da da da. And finally, he knocked on a house of a door and he's like, It's David Manning from World Class Championship Wrestling. I need to use your phone right now. And they're like, Oh shit, it is David Manning. You know, and so they helped him and everything. And then he told me afterwards, like, Yeah, it wasn't really like a wrestling story, so I didn't tell it. And I was like, Motherfucker, that would have been an incredible story to reenact. 
I could just see it come to life. So shame on you, David Manning, for not telling that story. But um, maybe in the future at some point. When you've got the shady guy outside the arena selling you watches and guns, you got to imagine at some point the table's going to turn. Maybe he's going to come collect all the goods back. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So funny. Ricky Morton was also wild, too. I met, like... I felt like when the cameras weren't off, like, man, like, he was saying stuff that, like, I, I can't even repeat here. Uh, <laughs> but it was really entertaining. He's also shameless, too, though. Like, he 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 tells it all. He's amazing. Ricky Moore, oh, yeah. another guy we'd never worked with before that was awesome to work with again on this yeah. show. I watched the Memphis episode um, this morning before we hopped on here and just, like, oh, my God. Yeah, like you said, it's like that star-studded cast uh, doing the round table. You guys have like the who's who. The stories are amazing. And in classic, um, you know, dark side of the ring fashion, the reenactments are great. I feel like that's such a great special touch that you guys have just like really nailed. Um, Even just like the casting, like it's the silhouettes are always so dead on. They're so, so good. It's one of the most nerve-wracking parts of the whole process is it, it gets down to the 11th hour of trying to find those stand-ins, you know, for or the, the reenactment players, because it's real tough because the world just doesn't produce people like, you know, the people of the territories anymore. So it's, it's very hard to find those shapes and sizes. And sometimes it's just really pure luck that, you know, we, we, we get a guy that looks just like Jerry Lawler. Actually, the person who plays Andy Kaufman in our... Uh, oh, I cannot actually... wait to watch that episode. Cannot wait. That's just one of my favorite stories in general. Like, it's fascinating. Truly fascinating. Yeah, one quick thing about that is... Um, so, episode one that you'll see next week is Memphis Part One, the one you watched. And then next, the following week, we're airing a special that's just the Andy Kaufman, Jerry Lawler angle. Because when we showed up to set, pairing with your earlier question about, you know, it was just like, these guys just went on a roll with the Andy Kaufman stuff. And we turned to ourselves and we're like, oh my God, this could be its own episode. And lo and behold, it is. So... That's what we did. But the guy who played Andy Kaufman, talk about luck, was actually the guy who ran the studio that we shoot in. They're like, dude, you look like Andy Kaufman. So it was just kind of like <laughs> one of those lucky kind of things that happens all the time. Did you guys get any great like Jerry Lawler doodles on like scripts and stuff while you were hanging out? <laughs> I wish. Because they're spectacular. Oh, my yeah. God. Crazy. Yeah, we love him as an artist. Like I remember even before we did dark side of the ring and we were like researching it, like coming across his artwork or there was a documentary, I think WWE did. And it shows him like just in his uh, studio where he draws and it was so beautiful and just, he has a, such an incredible style. It's and nuts. I, like yeah. it's one thing to see like the finished product and be like, Oh, he spent time on doing this. And it's obviously like incredible the work that he does. But when he's like sitting next to you in the commentary table and just like doodling away on something like at the bottom of a script, you're like, look at you go. Holy. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's really, really fascinating. He's so talented. Um, what were some of the big takeaways that you guys have in your back pocket now moving forward doing shows now having worked with Seven Bucks, working with The Rock, working with these companies that just like are knocking shit out of the park? Did you guys pick up any like great? work ethic things or different production notes or anything like that. Man, I don't know about you, Jason, but like, you know, I feel like when we when we started, you know, with Dark Side of the Ring, uh, just, you know, it was just the pilot episode. It was like taking a whole year just to make one hour of television. 
And then I remember when we were sort of off in the deep end doing our first season of like trying to get a whole season of a show together. It was so overwhelming and daunting. And then the number grew. Season two was 10 episodes. Then it was 14, you know, for season three. And I think just the biggest takeaway for us has been to try and learn like how to delegate and to really trust your team. You know, I think that's kind of the biggest thing for me is like, I think in the beginning, we tried to do everything ourselves and we got burnt out real fast, you know, by not being able to rely on the talented people that are around you that can really bring, yeah, that can bring really great ideas. Um, and it's good to listen to them or to be inspired by them or, you know, to have inspire something else. And so I think for me, like the only way I've probably been able to survive uh, the last few years has been able to really just rely and depend on great people that we've found or that have come to us or vice versa. And I think that's the number one thing is delegation in order to get that many episodes done. Yeah. And uh, and the schedule for the show, like we said, we came right off of like season three, like into this. I was doing a movie at the same time. So it was like near impossible for me to direct on every single episode. So Andrew Arpel, our cinematographer, a DP who's shot um, since season two with us on everything, he stepped in and he's directing a bunch of the episodes for Tales of the Territories, which is awesome. And it's so cool, you know, to see him step into that role. That's like a, you know, a passion of his as well, too. But it it feels great for me because now... Does you know, it stress can, you like, out a little bit at first, though? As much as it it's did. nice when you're like, okay, <laughs> I'm passing off the baton and it's going to oh, yeah. lo- lighten oh. my load a little bit, but I'm sure you're kind of crapping your pants, too. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. We're perfectionists. So like Evan and I want to be involved in every aspect yeah. of it. So it has been a lesson in, you know, kind of letting go a little bit. But like, you know, Andy, he's so talented. And uh, like what we saw coming in, like right away, it was just so good. Same for me, like with Dark Side, you know, season three, like there was no way I could be in every interview, you know, like I couldn't be in every place at once, just, you know, by virtue of traveling during COVID, but trying to get all those interviews for Dark Side finished, 14 episodes worth. So I had to give up to let have somebody else come aboard to run the interviews, which was a huge thing for me, but it worked out and it was great. And it was just trusting in those people and doing that and, you know, relief. trying to, yeah, it, it was a huge relief. And now it's like, uh, you know, and, and now it, it it's a, totally more functional, sane sort of environment once you're able to do that. <laughs> Thank God. Honestly, like I think that's a lesson every, for me especially, I'm so bad with that. I'm like, I'll do it. Never mind. I'll just do it. I'll just do it. Then I'm like, I'm so tired. I can't do anything anymore. Like to be able to surround yourself with the right people and delegate duties and make the machine grow and function and, and work better and, and more smoothly is. You have yeah. to. You have yeah, you have to, to try. Yeah. You have to. Um, okay, so you guys have had your foot on the gas pedal for some time. Are you taking your foot off the gas pedal at all? Do you have any other things? On <laughs> no. <the> back burner? <laughs> what else is happening? <laughs> no. Uh, well, you know, so territories we're going to be working on all the way through the run in terms of it airing because the way the schedules work over advice is, you know, we only really have the first three episodes finished. And then we How many episodes the- are there? There's 10. Okay. So there's 10 and then we're going to be finishing them and then delivering them as they air. So we still got a lot of work to do. Uh, so we can't quite celebrate. Um, <laughs> so we'll be doing that. And then, um, you know, there's a lot of talks uh, right now about a, another season of Dark Side. I know a lot of folks were sort of theorizing that it was over, but literally it was just um, 
us having this in the pipeline and just having an, uh, an opportunity to do to do this and to do something different, which is what we wanted to do. Um, but we're definitely going to be getting back to dark side, and I'm I'm sure knowing Vice and how that all works, it's going to be like tomorrow. So um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are some of the other stories that you guys are really eager to tell? Whether it's a dark side story, whether it's a territories. Chapter. What are some of the other ones that you haven't got to do yet? Oh, there's actually a lot. Um, if 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 provided the opportunity, it's interesting because working in the uh, doing the tales from the territories, even though we're just telling these little mini stories, these five minute little kind of six minute stories of like hijinks, you know, or, or like insanity. Uh, there's other like potential for dark side episodes that emerge like out of that, you know, it's like, for example, it's like in the uh, Mid-South episode, you know, there's a lot of talk about Junkyard Dog and talking about him in terms of some of the classic angles that he was involved with, you know, um, because a huge, a huge ingredient to what, you know, is fascinating to us about the territory era is just the nature of kayfabe and the idea of like these wrestlers who, you know, that code was so enforced and you had to live your gimmick 24 seven and the stakes of everything are incredibly high, you know, traveling, who you can travel with, who you're allowed to be seen with, you know, and how you had to uphold the gimmick, so to speak, all the time. So that always fascinated us. And most of the stories in Tales from Territories kind of relate back to that theme. But out of that, like Junkyard Dog is an example where it's like, you know, you hear a story here and there and it'd be great for territories, but man, it'd be great to do a whole freaking show on him, you know, <laughs> yeah. for example, or you know, talking about like other, like, you know, we did a, a, a territory episode about, um, 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 about Portland, one of the kind of semi forgotten territories, not really forgotten, but it's more deep cut. It's uh, a weird ass territory where wrestling got pretty weird up there. Wait, Maine or Oregon? Portland, Oregon. It's uh, the Don Owens territory. A lot of guys came through there. It was just a weird kind of eccentric territory. I would imagine. Yeah, we tell a lot of great stories from there, but it's like, you know, Matt Bourne, who obviously went on to be Doink in the WWE. Matt Bourne, there's incredible stories for him. That would be an incredible Dark Side episode. So you kind of see that like through this, even though the lenses are different, you know, that you're looking at it, you can see the potential of that. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of stories like those two, I think are ones that we would love to do down the line. I would like to start this interview off by knowing where you stand with these guys. Candy corn, by the way, everybody. I used to hate candy corn and I now really love it. What flipped the switch? Um, you know, I think I got older and stopped mm, being your like, palate has been more refined. I also think that people hate candy corn like as a point and not really like they don't actually hate it or they've never tasted it. Yes. So I was that kid. I was like, I don't like candy corn. And then one day I was like, what if you just enjoyed something for once in your goddamn life? <laughs> what yes. if you just ate it? Enjoy it. Enjoy the candy corn. It's a delicacy that we get once a year. Let's just buy the giant bag and enjoy it. Yeah. And if you know what? And if it's not your bag, totally fine. Let the people that enjoy it, enjoy it. Right. Don't yuck somebody else's yum, you know? (laughs) Don't yuck someone else's yum. I love that. Yeah. I'm a big fan. I feel like it's like that perfect... It's kind of like a salty sweet. There's a little saltiness to it that's a really beautiful. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan. I'm so, with you. all right, we're already off to the, to a good start. Is this like the busiest time of year for you? Are people like up your ass to do interviews and stuff? It really is, and you know, I'm not like I'm kind of the worst at what I do. <laughs> um, so I never say yes to anything. I'm genuinely like I. Uh, oh. 
after this, these past six years that I've been on this go show, it's been more and more people like asking me to come speak about things or asking me to be on panels. And I'm like, y'all, I just talk about spookies. I don't know how to speak with authority on this <laughs> in front of a crowd. Um, so politely, no. But yeah, we have just started filming for season six for Paranormal Camera. What a fun show. Like, I'm not just saying this because you're in front of me, but I love shows like that. I love paranormal things. Uh, This is not just a an annual jump on in October thing for me. Discovery Plus, sign a girl up, let me in there. I I love all those shows. Um, So for you to be on. Oh. What happened here? Was that me? What the heck? That was weird. See, the ghosts are already upon us. I never get interrupted when I'm recording this show. I'm hardwired in on my laptop and all of a sudden everything just went dead on me. So yikes. <laughs> Welcome to the ghost sessions. Um, so you have the best job to be on season six. That's like, wow. How has the show progressed from like day one shooting the pilot to like where you're at now? Well, it's changed a lot because I think people are a lot more inclined to pay attention when something might be spooky. I personally believe that more people have experienced paranormal phenomenon than they actually know. And people's brains, like your brain is the most powerful thing in the world. And so it can explain a lot away. But I think we as a society, (laughs) have gotten more comfortable with the idea that there might be things that are unexplained, that we're okay with having a little bit more mystery in the world. So we're just getting more and more submissions, which is absolutely crazy because, yeah, we're on season six. We have like 26 to 28 episodes a season. And in each episode, there are four stories. So I'm saturated with ghosts. (laughs) You're ghouled out. You've, you're ghouled out. I'm all ghouled out. Yeah. That's exhausting. That is so much work. Holy moly. And you guys travel everywhere for the show. So we have like special events. So there's, um, it's, what's really cool about the show that I'm on is that it's like a panel of people who are experts in their own field. I kind of come from more of a place of like, human psychology and how that mixes with the paranormal, how can it, it can inform the paranormal and how that in itself can be the paranormal. But we have like Filipino folklore experts and people who are um, medium, psychic medium. So everyone kind of goes off and does their own hunts. And then we come together with Paranormal Caught on Camera where people will give us instances or footage of their paranormal situations. And then we tell them like, oh, seems like you might have a residual haunting on your hands. We can't help you, but we can tell you about it. (laughs) (laughs) We'll tell you about it and we'll try and catch it on camera and let's just get down to the nitty gritty on it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's an, it's definitely an interesting job, especially because like I'm Jewish. So Jews don't believe in the devil. Because when somebody dies in Jewish culture, you sit with them until what, what happens there? So you sit Shiva. So that's kind of like the like 10 or so days after the funeral, which always happens within the first like 48 hours. But Jews are actually like 
very interesting when it comes to the afterlife because we kind of believe in everything. So there's a story in Judaism that supports um, reincarnation. And then we don't have a hell. We have something called Gehenna, which is like a place where you go where you are confronted with all of like your misdoings in life. And we're not every time I do this, I try not to be rude to Christians, but (laughs) we don't care about like who you had sex with, you know? Yeah. Hey, get after it. Yeah. It's a mitzvah. It's a good deed in Judaism. Um, so is drinking, (laughs) but, uh, but like, it's just all of it is like, it's, it's mainly about like how you treat other people and how you treat yourself. So once you're confronted with that, the maximum amount of time you can stay there is 11 months. And then after that, your soul re-enters either the spiritual realm or like the world of the living, which is reincarnation. That makes ghost hunting really complicated for me because you can walk around any place and be like, it's a demon, it's Beelzebub, you know, but I don't have that. So I have to be a little bit more creative in my like assessment. It's a, it's an interesting path to take. Cause I would say like ghosts in general is a, is a pretty like Christian dominated world. Right. No, it's an interesting way to look at it. Like I was not raised with any religion. Um, so I don't necessarily think of it in any of those terms, but I definitely like, I do believe that like there's for sure spirits around. Like I've had my own experiences. I do. I like, I feel like you'd be such a dick to be like, nope, nothing here. Like you've like, I don't know. I don't know if it was just like me being like receptive to things as a kid that made me feel so like open and aware of ghosts. Like I feel like when I was really young, I thought that I saw a ghost at one point and maybe that's where like that seed was planted or like playing fucking Bloody Mary in my bathroom as a kid. Like I think that stuff still haunts me. That stuff still gets me. If the lights go out or I'm like washing my face and I feel like I like have soap in my eyes, like that's when the ghost is going to appear. It's terrifying. I can't deal with bathrooms. I genuinely like all doors have to be open. All lights have to be on or else I'm getting murked in there. Yes, But yeah, no, I think that that's where it comes from. And I, I also like, that's where I'm talking about the whole association of the human brain is that your brain sends you trigger warnings when you're in danger, when something is heightened around you. And like, you either choose to ignore that or you choose to explore it. And I think that's where a lot of like, paranormal quandary comes from is people saying like, actually, that was pretty weird. I wonder why that happened. I don't have an explanation for that. What's like your reaction to people that just don't believe in ghosts or the people that really try to debunk ghosts and spirits? <laughs> it's the same people who don't like candy corn. Like, get, <laughs> get grit, you know? Like, just get don't yuck grip. our yum. Exactly. And like, if you want to live in a world without any mystery or fantasy, go off. But I love physics and I also love ghosts. (laughs) You know, like I'm a huge fan of science. It's like a huge passion of mine, especially like quantum physics, because I think that there shouldn't be as much of a divide between the paranormal and the scientific world as there is, because Like when you think about quantum physics, we don't understand quantum computing, but we do it actively. The fact that we are actively doing something and progressing in science in this world of quantum physics, but no scientist can tell you why that happens, it's insane. 
That's way above my pay grade. Honestly, same. I feel like there should be more mystery in science. And if you're so closed off, I think, to things that might be a little bit more fantastical, you're never going to be able to grasp ideas like quantum entanglement. You know, you're never going to be able to get your brain to that place because you just have no imagination. Yeah, let the imagination run wild, which can certainly be a slippery slope as well. And I'm sure you've come in contact with plenty of that. Um, How do you guys decide which cases you're going to take on? We look at the videos that they send us and we make sure that they haven't been compromised in any sort of way. So we'll look at the metadata of the videos and make sure that they haven't been altered. Um, Make sure that like, you know, our due diligence as much as we can do. We'll look into the family and look into the people who submitted the stories. Gosh, that's a lot of work for how many submissions you guys are getting. That's a lot of like deep diving you guys have to do. We have a huge research team and they're like incredible because it is a lot of work. And there are so many people that just want to be on TV. It's such a hard thing to debunk that, yeah, you could just like paint your grandmother white and put her outside of your window. (laughs) And I guess I can't tell you that that's not a ghost. (laughs) Like, I guess. (laughs) But, you know, we do our best to make sure that we're dealing with people who actually need help, too, or want that validation. Like my favorite stories are ones that are like, I think this might be my grandmother or this is my dog. Like that's, that's a big one. We get a lot of pets. Oh, I've never even really thought about that. What an asshole I am. That's so sweet. I hope my dog haunts me better, a little shit. Yeah. And I think they like, you know, at least for like some time afterwards, we get so many submissions that I refuse to believe that it's isolated incidents. Like, I think that it happens and there are things that we ignore. Like, little things that fall over in the corner and you're like, (laughs) Yes, yes. Oh, my God. The amount of times things like that happen, it's really funny, and I'm sure someone will debunk this, but I feel like any time something like that happens in my house, it's always when my husband's gone. Always. And I'm like, why does this not happen when he's here? What is going on? Like, I'll be upstairs sleeping, huge crash down in the kitchen all the like both dogs are upstairs with me there's no way it could be anything else I'm like this only happens when John's on the road always does he believe in ghosts he does so I feel like I'm more receptive to it like he freaks out he thinks that I like attract ghosts cool which I maybe I do who knows <laughs> so he doesn't he doesn't even want me talking about it. so our house we live in is super old it's built in 1880 um probably has like a crazy history, but I will say living in this house, knock on wood, aside from the little, um, little ghost internet moment we had, I've not really heard too many, like really like creaky, weird things or like felt a presence in this house. Um, but yeah, he definitely gets his back up to it. So he does believe in it, but not in a way that he wants, like he kind of just doesn't want to know about it. Like, I think it like really kind of rattles him. Yeah, I mean, you know, it is an energetic thing, which is why it's so easy for people, for skeptics to be like, to call bullshit on it. Because if you're not receptive, then you cannot see it. Like you, you, it's very possible for things to be happening right in front of you and you just not see it. But I would definitely look up, that's my, this is my favorite part of the job. I would definitely look up the history of the building that you're in and of the land that you're on. Oh, so where do you go to do that? The library is where I go, which is a little lame. No, I love the library. I'm fine to go to the library. 
it's great because they also they have to you have to have like um all the database regional stuff. public yeah. Re- records yeah so i would look into it i i grew up i also grew up in a very old house that was built around the same time and that's where i started like experiencing ghosty things for the first time and my parents like you know we lived there for over 20 years my parents never experienced anything really but you did you had you had big experiences when you were a kid right yeah me and my sister both did actually and we never talked about it until we were like in our late teens so same for me and my family let's hash this out so what what kind of experiences did you have and like yeah not talking to each other about it's really funny yeah because you know it's just one of those things, I guess, that you're like, that's crazy. Let's not talk about it. And I think we're kind of past that, I hope. Well, you and me, we're so past that, Renee. We're, you and I are beyond that. Yeah, we're going to talk about it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, when I was six years old, my very first experience was when I was six years old, I was in my bedroom and I saw these three giant floating man heads in front of my bed. And they were, I mean... I was six, so they could have been normal size, but they seemed animatronic. They seemed huge. So there were these three heads floating in front of me, and they were very like, one of them had like a cigar or something, and one of them had tiny little round glasses, and they were all like looking at each other, but not looking at me. And I just started like screaming, and my parents came in, and they were like, what? I'm six, so I don't know how to verbalize what what just happened to me. Then... I had a very nice experience, like I would say probably a couple months after that, which was my, me and my grandfather were very close and I used to spend the night at his house all the time. And one night I spent the night at his house and then that morning I went home and he actually died like as soon as I left. Oh, wow. I guess my, you know, my parents were like figuring out how to tell me. I took a nap and I saw him on the edge of my bed. And I thought he was just there. You know, I was just like, oh, hey, um, what's up? Are we hanging again? <laughs> and that's when my mom, like a couple hours later, my mom came in and told me that he had passed. And I told her, I was like, you're so mistaken. I am so sorry. He is here <laughs> currently. Did she freak out? No, no, no. Like my parents are super Texan. So they were just like, all right. <laughs> Yep. And I think my mom is very spiritual as well. So she she kind of liked the idea of him being there. But if I ever brought up any other ghost occurrence, like I told her about there are the three heads, then there was a man in my closet. And then there was a guy who used to hang out in the like formal dining room um, that nobody went into. And me and my sister both felt that person. And she was like, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's the fear. I will say having a daughter now, I'm like, for the love of God, please don't see ghosts. Please don't see ghosts. Don't let me like hear you in the baby monitor, like talking to somebody. Like, I just don't think I can handle it. Yeah. But I'd like to believe, I mean, I think that if they're, if they're talking with babies, sometimes I'm like, I don't trust this. I don't like this. Anytime I see, anytime we get a clip in, that's like, my child's toy is keeps lighting up on its own. I'm like, oh, I don't believe in demons, but if I did, that's where they would that's be hiding. Yeah, yeah. That's where they would be. Because um, there's something like ultimately so perverse about that. Like the manipulation of like something so innocent is like 
super awful to my brain. Is there something to that, though, as well? Like, I mean, I guess like a baby versus like a child, because everyone always says like children are so much more receptive to those things. I guess there's like that fine line between like an innocent little baby and like a kid that someone might be like, "Mm, this kid might actually see me and interact with me to a degree. I think kids are amazing in that way. And I do. I don't think that every time a child who's capable of speech says that they see something, I don't think it's a bad thing. You know, like I think that's kind of magical and like you should definitely ask questions because you know what if it's like has talents not great (laughs) right right but for the most part like if you do believe in ghosts you you have to believe that they're everywhere you know what so what is the difference between like I'll use this house, for example, because it is such an old house with so much history. So we live in Cincinnati, which I think is like a pretty old town. There's a lot of old history here. Like, I actually really want to go do one of the ghost tours here to like really learn more about what all the little pockets are. I'm from Toronto. I did one of those one time and it like blew my mind of all the old theaters that were haunted. Like 100%. I cannot wait to do this. But like, the difference between, say, a house or a building or something that's being haunted that way versus if, like, a person can be haunted. Is that a possibility? Oh, yeah. So that's super nefarious. Less so in America, more so overseas. If you're building on any land, that's haunted land. But in America, like, there's, it's more recent history. It's less rich in history. (laughs) But uh, yeah, there's a huge difference between like a facility or a house haunting and a personal haunting. For the house stuff, generally speaking, what I see the most of are residual hauntings, which means that it's a person haunting. So there's a difference between a spirit that is detached from human soul and like a human haunting. So usually with houses, you'll see this residual thing, which is a person lived here for many years. This was a person's first home and they are still going about their routine. You might hear the cabinet doors in the kitchen open or you might hear the garbage rustle. Like they're going about their normal routine. And for the most part, unless you want to try to like release them of this loop, uh, which takes research and work, you can just live happily with those things. You know, they're not going to hurt you. And I would say for the most part, trust your gut. If you feel fear, you know that you should be afraid because I'm a, I'm a fearful person. Like I'm not a brave guy. I like, I'll go into a haunt and I'll be like, everyone crowd around me and I'm holding on to everybody. But every ghost experience that I've had out as an adult, like as a kid, it's hard to process, but Every ghost experience I've had as an adult has been not scary. Once you're actually confronted with the thing, the fear kind of goes away and it's just your reality. I liken it to like doing mushrooms, where if you do mushrooms and you look at something that doesn't normally look like that, you don't, you're not scared of it. You're just like, that tree has a face now. Okay. You know what you're walking into. Like if you're on mushrooms, you at least sort of have like, I've only done mushrooms like twice and it was not a great experience. Um, But you're aware during it. You're like, I'm just having a bit of a weird trip right now and we're going to ride it out. And I guess same thing if you're walking into something like, well, this house is haunted and some shit might be going down. Let's just buckle up for that. Right. And like in the same in the same situation, like you can feel discomfort, but 
you're never out of control. Like you're never like, what's going to happen? Or maybe I'm projecting because I'm like, I'm fine. But, <laughs> but for me, whenever I've had a ghost experience, it's just been like, kind of like a stillness, like a sense of still where you're just, that's the reality you're now living in. It's not scary as much as it is just feels real. But a personal haunting can be very, very different. Very, very different. So if you feel that spirit is attached to you for whatever reason, again, I don't believe in things like demons, but I do believe in nefarious spirit, which is something like a parasitic spirit, like a succubus. Those all just sound bad, bad, bad. It's always bad news. I mean, the job and goal of something like a succubus is to steal your energy. And it gets that generally like while you're sleeping, which is awful. Cause like, how are you supposed to protect yourself from that? And, you know, from that, I will say like, if you do feel yourself being, I guess for lack of a better word, like haunted everywhere that you go, it doesn't matter if you move from house to house, like you need to go to a spiritual cleanser. Is a lot of that too, like when people have like sleep paralysis, is that something that's kind of like that as well? That's my absolute favorite. So I generally don't dream too much, but when I do, I have heavy, heavy lucid dreams and big sleep paralysis. Um, It happened to me. I was on a show called The Circle, which is like this reality show. Oh, we know the circle. Oh, good. (laughs) Oh, good. Um, But I would lucid dream every single night in there. And it was exhausting. And my favorite idea about that is that you're actually peeking into a spirit realm. So specifically, if you have lucid dreams that take place inside of the room that you're in. So if you're dreaming and you are in your own home, or in your bed even, and you're like, you can't get up, you know, that kind of thing. Generally, that is believed to mean that you are peeping into the spirit realm while you're sleeping. So if you see anybody in that dream, try to interact with them because you could be talking to a spirit that lives in your home. You should interact with them? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, I personally believe like if you see something say something. If, if you, <laughs> Follow the airport rules, everybody. Exactly correct. If you see something, you're already past the point. Like if it's going to do something to you, you're in bed. Like what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. You know, you should talk to it and try to. I had that experience when I was over in Manchester filming. Manchester will fucking take you down, won't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it did. <laughs> I had this lucid dream where this woman who was by the way, amazing. She was like gorgeous, tall, icicle woman. Stupid, sexy ghost. Yes. And she was chasing <laughs> after me. And so she was chasing after me in like throughout this like very small Manchester flat until finally like I got in bed and I thought that I lost her. And I was in bed and I was like, oh my God, I'm dreaming right now wait because I tried to look at my phone and the numbers were all messed up which is like a key indicator and she walks into my room holding in and out my kind of girl I know so she walks into my room and she's like I'm not gonna hurt you and I was like well why were you chasing me and she's like you wouldn't talk to me 
And so, and so I did this really unhinged thing after that dream where I would wake up in the morning and be like, good morning. Oh my gosh. That's really interesting though, of like wanting to have those interactions and like kind of create like to, yeah, make them feel heard and seen because that's all I want. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do, I, I like to believe that for the most part, there's when we experience some sort of like energy shift that somebody might call ghost encounter, I like to believe that it's human. So when we were talking about like growing up and having, you know, different experiences and whatnot, and then not talking to our family members about it till later, a house that I was living in, and we weren't kids, you know, 11, 12th grade, something like that. Um, We had lived there with our mom and it was a bungalow and you would go down like three stairs and both of our bedrooms were at the bottom of that and they mirrored each other. But like all the time between like two, three in the morning, just like slam on the top of both of our doors. As like teenagers do, we did not like each other at the time. So we'd open the door and just kind of like stare at each other. But like something drew us both out <laughs> into the hallway multiple times. You'd hear pacing up and down the stairs, the dishwasher opening, the like just stuff shifting around. Like, as you said, somebody kind of going through their routine or whatever it may be. And for the longest time, none of us would say anything to each other, whether my brother and I would, would talk about it to my mom. She had different experiences as well of like being in the shower and she had our dog in the bathroom with us and she heard my voice calling for the dog to come out. So was this a demon? They're called different things in different cultures. A lot of people will call them skinwalkers. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Skinwalker ranch. That's right. If you hear something that's mimicking the voice of somebody that you know, you fucking run like there's nothing to be done there you have got to go so what's funny about it too is that because none of us had really spoken about it so my brother had moved out he went to college so it's just my mom and I then his best friend moved into the house and was staying in his room and again none of us are really speaking about it at this point I would have girlfriends come stay over having a sleepover and I wouldn't say anything. And they're like, who's in the hallway? Like, who is running laps up and down these three or four stairs? Um, so multiple people had heard it. And then when I finally moved out, so I'm sure this now knowing about the skinwalker shit. So I'm sleeping. And this is like one of those weird like in between, like I'm still not even sure what was real or what wasn't. I just know the way that it made me feel that I was sleeping and it I was moving to Los Angeles. Something whispered in my ear, I'm coming with you. And I woke up and my face felt like someone had just talked to it. Like it felt like there was like a heat. Even when I lived in Los Angeles, just kind of feeling this feeling of like, is something around me? Like what is happening? I would just think about it all the time, but I don't know if it was just like in my head that I'm thinking about it all the time. I don't know. Would you ever say that to yourself about like needing eggs from the grocery store? You know, like you... I feel like people invalidate themselves so much with that. With you think it's like a dream or you're like, did I make that up? Did that happen? But it's so vivid to me. The way that that happened and my memory of it is so sharp. Um, yeah. And then once we all started talking about it, once I'm talking to my mom about it and she's telling me about the dog barking and the bathroom thing, and we all had different stories about it. Um, and then my mom, so on this flight down to Los Angeles when I was moving, she came with me for the flight because I was like a, young and she was like, let's just make sure you get there. Okay. So she flies back home to Toronto on her own after we had all kind of spoken about it. And she was like, again, my family's not really religious. 
But she was like, I guess I'm going to read a Bible verse out loud in the house. (laughs) So she went home and did that. And she was in the house by herself at that point. She was kind of like, fuck it. This is my only opportunity. Um, But yeah, I mean, nothing. I didn't really have any other experiences after that. But it was such a like pretty condensed like two, three years of just feeling like something is around me and watching me. And it was awful, awful. All those stories compounded, like you can't ignore something like that. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think, like I said, a lot of people call it a lot of different things. Somebody out there might call it a demon. I think that's a little bit dramatic. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, you're not like, you're not going to be like dragged to hell. Thank God. Uh, but you are probably a pretty sensitive person. And what I would do, honestly, like what I do a lot is go to a witch, go to a witch shop and get some- I'm big into witches right now. I'm on a bit of a witch kick. This sounds great. As you should be, as you should be. Um, And get a protection candle. And all you need to do is light that candle all the way down and make sure that when you light it, you don't, you never blow it out. You always cap it to close. And then when you are lighting it, just be like protection for me and my family. And it needs to be blessed by a witch because they'll do they'll do some like ritual stuff on it. Not anything blood e, just <laughs> some herbs, you know, good stuff. Yeah, a little sage mixture, perhaps. Yeah, and it's the thing is like those things seem so little, but these are in this in the scope of your big life. You know, this should be little and. The more thought you give it, the more like credence you give it. So kind of like going to somebody and making your intentions clear of like, no, this is my house and you're not actually welcomed here. Sometimes that's enough. Interesting. But I will say the whole like mimicking people that you know is um, incredibly messed up. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Well, my mom told me that and like she came out. She was like, what? Just open the door. Why are you not letting the dog out? And I was sound asleep in my room. She was like, okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> never <no>. mind. <laughs> yeah. Big time. Oh, no. Um, so, yeah. Scary, scary stuff. Where do you find a witch? How do you track down a, a like a credible witch? It is easier than ever. <laughs> um if you go to your local witch shop, which I promise you have. I must have one here. Cincinnati's got some creeps around here. So like, I don't mean creeps. I mean like scary stuff. Not like No, creepos. I mean both could be true. Both are true, but I, <laughs> I was, I was of referencing. Of any place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, if you, if you look up a witch shop, like there will be, you can literally just go into Yelp and be like, witch shop. Okay. And there will be places like there's obviously I live in L.A., so there's like 47 on one street. But it really is about like going to the person that you trust the most and you can feel that when you go into somebody because they're at the end of the day, like it's their intention that's going into that blessing that's going into that candle. So if you don't trust them, then that's a moot candle. But yeah, like I go all the I don't live anywhere near Hollywood, but I go all the way to Hollywood just to get. Vicky. Vicky, my witch. <laughs> my witch, Vic. That's great. Okay, I'm going to look into this because, I mean, why not? I'd rather do it than not do it. Right. And especially because you're a, you're a sensitive person, like clearly, and you have a family now. And it's not like, I don't think it's sensationalist to be like, it couldn't hurt because I bet she's sensitive too. 
Of course. Oh my God. My little baby. Nobody touch my baby. Everybody back off. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. So going back to the sleep paralysis thing, what are some things that you can do to protect yourself going to sleep? Are there different rituals or different stones or different, some of these candles you're speaking about? Like, is there any, anything you can do? The thing is with this stuff, like generally speaking, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen, which is like never the thing that you want to hear. I don't have it. So but I'm sure there's people listening that suffer from it. Yeah, I think the thing with sleep paralysis more than anything, like there are some things that I do because I do dream very vividly. Like I have an uncrossing candle, which basically is just like if there's anybody out there that has any ill intent towards me, I'm just going to release you of that and take it take a sleep. Okay. So there's an uncrossing candle that I, I generally use. I understand sage. And I will say if you feel strong, intense fear of spirit while you sleep, then <coughs> I choked on my tongue. That's another ghost. The tongue ghost. The worst kind. <laughs> uh, if you feel like strong, intense fear of spirit when you sleep, you can sage. But my problem with sage is that it gets rid of all spirit. So I'm big on calling on my ancestors. Like that's big for me. Um, and like filling my home with my ancestors. And like, how do you do that? I went to an ancestral healer, which is a little bit harder to find. But if y'all need help, DM me, let me know and I can find one for you. I have one. Uh, where basically she just kind of like reads and I know I'm in this world, but I always go into anything new with a healthy level of skepticism. I'm just like, show me what this is. So she immediately was like, called out my great grandfather, who is a very distinct person, like, his attributes are incredibly distinct. So when she said that he was like the first one to step up, I was like, I believe you now. But uh, yeah, I went to an ancestral healer who kind of just like reinvigorates the connection between you and your ancestors. And a way to kind of nourish that is again, simply by like, lighting a candle for them. And in Judaism, that's Yartzeit. Like, that's like a huge deal is if you light a candle for somebody, like you are showing their representation of their presence in your life and a candle just on its own, not spiritually charged, clears the space around it. So I do that almost every day. But the biggest suggestion that I have, which can be a horrifying one, is to kind of just let it happen and to think of it like Halloween Horror Nights. Think of it like you're experiencing this. It cannot hurt you. People who like wake up with like scratches and things like that, that's so highly contested. It's really hard to like speak on that. And, and I never want to tell anybody that their experiences didn't happen. So I can't say that they didn't happen. But for the most part, especially with sleep paralysis, you're seeing what many people see. And there's kind of a comfort in that where like, there's like that same witch lady that a lot of people see the like hunched witch lady, which by the way, if I saw this, I would shit myself. <laughs> like, I'm not saying I am cool in these situations, but if it happens to you consistently, you have the opportunity to become cool with it. 
And the more that you are cool with it, chances are the less it'll happen to you. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, guys. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed the week, enjoyed the best of the sessions. You guys can hear the full-length interviews um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just uh, download them, give them a listen, give them a like, a review. And if you want to see what you're hearing, head on over to my YouTube page. Just search Renee Paquette. It's all up there, and you can see us talking having this interview, having a hangout. It's all up on there. Um, and that's been like a really great, cool, growing community. So uh, I'm really enjoying the hangouts on the YouTube as well. So we can see you guys over there. And jump in the comment section, you know. Jump in, chime in, leave a comment. Uh, we like filtering through them all, reading about them. Maybe even like, I don't know, some constructive criticism if you had it. We're all ears. God, did I open up a can of worms by saying that? I don't know. Be nice. Be cool in there. This has been The Sessions.